The Geopolitics and Empire podcast is joined once again by Daniel McAdams, who is the executive director of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. We'll be talking foreign policy in US, Russia, Ukraine, World War III. Uh, it's been about two years since we last spoke. How is the new normal life in Texas? Uh, well, thanks again for having me, by the way. It's great to be back on your on your great program. And uh, Texas, you know, we had a few bad months, but the uh, the governor here looked over to Florida and realized that he actually could find a little bit of courage. And so it's basically been uh, been normal, normal here for quite a long time. You know, there are certainly some vestiges of the old uh, regime with masks and people being nervous. But basically, you wouldn't you wouldn't notice anything here, I think, these days. Yeah, I've escaped to Mexico. I know a lot of people are escaping to Mexico, but I do have a plan B or C that, you know, I've, I've thought about going back to the U.S. And the only places that I would go would be somewhere like Texas or, or Florida or, or some si similar such states. Uh, so to talk about Ukraine and, and Russia, you know, so where's the invasion of, of Ukraine by Russia? <laughs> well, it hasn't happened as it was scheduled. In fact, somebody, I think it was Garland Nixon, uh, posted a funny little tweet saying that uh, now the U.S. is going to sanction Russia for not invading on the right schedule. So that may well be what happens. It hasn't it hasn't invaded on their schedule. In fact, off camera, we were talking about uh, a tweet that you retweeted uh, from a guy I studied when I was in grad school, uh, Edward Zlutvak, who, who made the great point that, you know, the U.S. intelligence community uh, is claiming that Russia is about to have a full scale invasion of not just eastern Ukraine, but Ukraine and Kiev. Uh, and he said that would go against the entire, the sort of reckless gambling would go against the entire history of uh, uh, Putin's behavior that we've seen so far. And he says, I'm not buying it. So when someone of his stature, who's not in anyone's real camp, says something like that, I think it's time to, to, to listen to him. And that was, uh, it was a welcome tweet, I think. Yeah, I've also studied uh, Lutwak in graduate school, and that's something to someone to uh, to take his opinion. Uh, the situation in Ukraine is complicated, and there are a lot of variables at play. The ones that stick out for me include, you know, the existential threat posed um, to Russia of Ukraine joining NATO, uh, you know, putting in then missile missiles and you know nuclear missiles and and stationing them, uh, and that, that's a clear red line for for Russia. Then we have energy and pipeline games and there's a whole host of issues there are irredentist issues you know regarding the breakaway republics for, for you you know what are some key geopolitical um points here to understand that are driving the ukraine crisis well there are a couple of very important things i think and and most people paying attention will recognize the first which is the at the media once again is absolutely abysmal the mainstream media in the u.s uh, and most of europe is abysmal uh it's essentially the u.s media is taking the role of stenographers from the intelligence community. They're not checking anything that's reported. They're doing the exact same things they did in the run-up to war with Iraq, which is just repeating the most outlandish statements of people in the administration and in the think tank world in D.C. So they've done an absolutely abysmal job. And in fact, uh, Matt Taibbi has a good piece on his Substack today, uh, just blasting the media for its, be for its behavior, for its performance. Uh, so I think that's important. But, you know, the one thing that we try to talk about on the Ron Paul Liberty Report every day, which is something that the media would never tell you, uh, and that is that the current crisis in Ukraine, Russia, uh, eastern Ukraine, was precipitated by U.S. interventionism. Uh, you know, they don't want to admit this. They don't want to talk about it. But as the kids say, we've got the receipts, right? We've got the video of then Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Newland in the middle of the Maidan Square handing out food 
to people who were intent on overthrowing the government. And on this is a point I made once on the Liberty Report. Imagine if January 6th in America really was an insurrection and not just some goofy guys with buffalo horns on their heads. Imagine it really was an insurrection and a senior Russian government official was down there handing out food, egging them on, and even, as we know from the telephone call that was intercepted, even deciding who would run America after the insurrectionists were successful. Imagine how Americans would react to that. Yet this is exactly what happened in Ukraine in 2014, and you just never hear about it. A message from our sponsors. The Nomos app will help you survive COVID-1984 and the Great Reset. Nomos is a time bank that can be used by communities anywhere in the world. You just need to talk people into using it. For example, if you go to your barber for a 30-minute haircut, your barber receives 30 minutes in his time bank. He can then use that time to pay for an appointment with the doctor. I've spoken to the developer who is passionate about creating solutions for surviving and thriving in the apocalypse. Nomos is available in both English and Spanish. Hurry and visit nomos.net before they roll out the cashless society and put you in the algorithm ghetto. Also, if you need health insurance that covers you wherever you may roam, check out my friend James Guzman's Borderless Health Insurance. One of the great things about living internationally is saving money on health care, but private care overseas can be expensive. Go to borderlesshealthinsurance.com to watch a short presentation on expat and digital nomad healthcare and sign up for a free consultation to review your options. Geopolitics and Empire needs funding. You can leave a donation, book a consultation, or become a member, which gets you access to my brief weekly commentary, a monthly newsletter of my thoughts, a private telegram, a monthly members group call, and my second premium broadcast called Dissident Thinker, where I conduct interviews and provide solo analysis. Dissident Thinker is also available on Rockfin and for supporters on Locals. Yeah, that, that's a key point. The orange color revolution. I wrote my thesis on on color revolutions um, back in Geneva. And what about like the issue of... Um, you know, Ukraine becoming a member of NATO. I think I heard some Ukrainian officials um, backpedaling, saying they might rethink that um, because that would be a uh, that would create. I've heard a first strike uh, capability for for the U.S. where Russia wouldn't be able to defend itself because at that point, uh, you know, NATO and the West could virtually like take out all of Russia's military installations and they'd have no way to defend themselves. Uh, you know, that's one thing I think about. What are some other key issues regarding uh, Ukraine, NATO, US, and, and Russia? Well, the funny thing about Washington's foreign policy establishment, aside from them being virtually wrong at every single turn, uh, is the fact that in their mind, the only country, the only country that has a right to have uh, security interests, uh, to be concerned about existential issues, as you, as you mentioned earlier, is the United States. No one else's security matters at all, except for ours. And that would be fine, but you have to realize that other countries you know, face the same issues. And as you point out, having Ukraine and NATO would, would raise a very serious, objectively, a very serious security concern for Russia, particularly considering the bellicose uh, statements coming out of Washington for how long? Uh, you know, since the great, since the reset uh, the, uh, back under Hillary Clinton, ages and I would say since the end of the, since the end of the Cold War. So you have an openly hostile West uh, denying any kind of, of validity to Russia's security concerns, it's a recipe for disaster. Uh, you know, as far as uh, Ukraine joining NATO, well, technically that's not, that shouldn't be allowed according to NATO's charter because the country has a border dispute with Russia. 
uh, in the Crimea issue. And, and even you might say in, uh, in uh, Donbass, uh, there is a disputed border in that area. So technically, they shouldn't be eligible for NATO membership anyway. Uh, but, you know, of course, rules, <laughs> who follows rules anymore? Uh, but the person you mentioned, that was the Ukrainian ambassador to the UK. Uh, and he did float that idea out there. That, well, maybe we can back off a little bit from NATO. And uh, he was immediately slammed down. And Zelensky, the president, now has uh, was asked, I think it was today, what about NATO? And he said, we have to guarantee our security. And NATO is that guarantee. So there's no official back down. But that certainly is something that, as we can tell, at least is on the minds of people. I want to go back to what you talked about, mentioned about the media. And you know, it's, it's a total, for the people who understand, it's a total repeat of Saddam, uh, um, Saddam Hussein and Colin Powell and, and uh, weapons of mass destruction. But uh, for me, things just seem have seem to have gone to, to a further extreme where it's cartoonish, really, the level of like the, the propaganda from the Western side. Uh, I mean, you, your thoughts on, on the cartoonishness of, of the, all of these allegations, as well as there's, there's censorship that we're dealing with. That was a, that's a perfect term, cartoonish. You know, I remember very, very well because we, I was working for Dr. Paul on Capitol Hill uh, as we were moving toward the Iraq war. <clears throat> and I remember how devastating it was for our side when Colin Powell went to the UN and made his presentation. And it wasn't devastating because his presentation was so convincing because it wasn't. We knew at the time that it was garbage. It was, it was devastating for us because of his stature. He's, he's perceived as a serious thinker, as someone with a lot of moral integrity. Well, what we saw uh, on Thursday, which is when uh, Secretary of State Tony Blinken went to the UN Security Council and did his best Colin Powell presentation, was exactly, as you say, cartoonish. It was absurd. The points he made were laughable. Uh, and uh, his outline of how Russia will attack Ukraine was laughable. And at the very end, the cherry on top of his ridiculous performance was that, well, Russia may not invade after all. Um, if they don't, we'll be glad that they, that they uh, followed our guidelines and reversed their course. So basically taking, wanting to take political uh, credit for something that the Russians have said all along they have no intention of doing. You know, it's like if uh, I keep claiming you're going to shoot me. And you, and you say, I'm not going to shoot you, and you end up not shooting me. And you're saying, well, I'm certainly glad you changed course on that shooting me thing. Yeah, and since you brought up uh, Blinken, I had that question as well. So he was there at the UN accusing Russia of, you know, every day they're saying it's, they're about to carry out a false flag operation. You know, th that's one point where for the longest time, anyone talking about false flag is a conspiracy theorist. So I guess now, you know, Blinken and Washington, the government are conspiracy theorists. And as well, I was reading in Politico, um, the NATO Secretary General uh, Jen Stoltenberg was he as well was, you know, accusing Russia of false flag um, operations. And if we talk about false flags, I would think it would come first from Kiev or Washington. You know, there, there are they're the ones who, who who most carry out these kinds of things. You know, the last time was the chemical provocations in Syria. Those were false flags by the West. And so uh, there are some reports that a kindergarten was shelled today by the U Ukrainian side, possibly, which may have been a false flag attempt. Uh, what are your thoughts on this this false flag talk and whether someone will actually try to stage a false flag? I think it's a very important and very, very concerning point. You know, and we've said all along, Russia is not going to invade Ukraine. Russia does not want to take Kiev. It doesn't want to have the responsibility of this basket case of a country. But that doesn't mean that Russia will not abide by 
Uh, it's very clearly stated position that we will intervene in Donbass if Kiev starts attacking Russian citizens, of which there are some say as many as 750,000 Russian passport holders living in that part of eastern Ukraine. And Russia has been very clear, we will protect these people. And that's why I am still very concerned, because anything could happen. The shelling of a kindergarten is just the kind of thing that can raise tensions to a high level. Now, there has been shelling going on since, you know, since 2014 uh, on both sides, or 2015 at least, on, on both sides of this. And it does happen. There has been an uptick lately. The U.S. has pulled its OSCE monitors out of the area. I think other Western countries have done the same. So there's a real danger here. And it happened, remember, in, uh, was it in Iraq? There's a danger, and in Kosovo, there's a danger when you pull out the monitors, even that there may be one or two honest ones that might be able to say, no, those shells came from the Ukrainian side. It wasn't uh, from the uh, pro-Russia side. There is a huge danger, and I see an uptick right now in this. All it'll take is a few more kindergartens and maybe a hospital or two uh, to be shelled by Russia uh, that you will see, uh, you'll see some action. So definitely action is very possible, but not in the way the U.S. is predicting. Uh, I may be mistaken. I'm not sure if it was my Croatian president, Milanovic, or, or, or others who have said that this Ukraine fiasco is nothing more than a wagging of the dog by the Biden administration to distract from domestic problems uh, in America. What, what are your thoughts there? In fact, I think there was an MP, an MEP from Croatia that just made a great statement about that. In fact, uh, I just noticed that on Twitter, I made an excellent statement saying that exact same thing. And even President Zeman from the Czech Republic had an interview that came out today where he was talking about this is the Iraq war all over again. The U.S. CIA has continually lies us into war. And this is a NATO partner, a NATO partner, the president of a NATO partner country saying uh, these guys are full of crap. They're doing nothing but lying to us and they continuously lie. Um I also had a question since I mentioned Biden, uh, you know, we, we've heard in the past, um, you know, Joe Biden, I think when he was at the CFR talking about how uh, he was uh, he had to deal with uh, the Ukrainian president. And if he didn't do what he wanted, he, he would withhold uh, funds, five million or something. And, and then we have the issues with the Hunter Biden connection and corruption in, in Ukraine. And so uh, what effect do you think the, the Hunter Biden and Joe Biden dealings and corruption um have on the current Ukraine crisis? I think there's a lot there, and you're not allowed to talk about it in the U.S. media, but it was a $1 billion loan guarantee that was on the table when Joe Biden said, you have to fire this chief prosecutor or you don't get the money. And apparently uh, what the chief prosecutor was doing was investigating his own son, Hunter Biden's nefarious activities uh, in Ukraine. You know, he is a well-known oil and gas expert, right? For 50000 a month, he was being paid. Uh, but I think there is a lot of corruption, and I think um, probably Biden is afraid of having some of this get out. Uh, I don't know to what extent it drives it. I think to certainly to a very large extent, what drives the current conflict is the fact that you have the holdovers from the Obama administration, which was behind the 2014 coup. They're the ones in the driver's seat right now. I mean, anyone who thinks that Biden himself is really in the driver's seat, I don't know about that. I mean, I've seen the guy talk, and I don't know. He's not even in the passenger seat, right? He's in the back seat. Um, uh, you have people like Jake Sullivan, who is increasingly coming under suspicion for his role in the fake Russiagate spying on candidate Trump and then President Trump affair. Uh, these people are deeply corrupt and deeply compromised people, but they are so absolutely full of themselves and certain uh, of their rights, so full of hubris. Uh, that is a really dangerous combination.
You, know, you mentioned NATO, and I caught the news today or yesterday, some European MEP, I think from some Nordic country, Heidi something, uh, she was discussing now opening, uh, promoting the idea of opening NATO membership to all of the European uh, member states now. Um, how do you think uh, these events will affect the EU and NATO? Some people are talking about this uh, splitting NATO and, and Europe. Uh, you know, maybe it will strengthen, uh, maybe it will push Europe towards the trajectory of a EU army? I mean, uh, what are your thoughts on, on NATO and EU at this stage? Well, someone I respect very much is Colonel Doug McGregor. He's an old friend of mine, and he's got a very strong view about this. So he views this as the beginning of the end of NATO. He feels that there is a realization now when you see what, what objectively is true, a, a lot of Russian forces on the move, whether they were all involved in military exercises or whether it was a show of force or whether some combination of the two, very clearly, and the Colonel, uh, Colonel McGregor said on Sky News Australia that uh, basically the, the Russians have, uh, have been able to control the airspace from the Gulf of Finland to the, back, to the Black Sea. Uh, and his view, and you know, I tend toward listening certainly to what he says, uh, is that Germany is going to start realizing that this Eurasia sphere uh, is an area that the Americans are not capable of, of protecting them in. They, don't, they will not have the security uh, guided by the U.S., you know, guaranteed by the U.S., uh, that they may have had in the past. And this is a great example of it. There is literally, if, if Putin had decided, we're going in, we're taking the whole place, there is literally nothing the United States could have done to stop it. We had, as, as the colonel put out, some light infantry forces, uh, and he, he called it, quote, almost a joke. Uh, so there is going to be a realization among serious European countries, and I don't mean the Baltics, so, because they're not serious, uh, that NATO is a paper tiger. It's incapable of doing what was actually uh, uh, what it was actually conceived to do, which is protect Europe uh, from then Soviet expansionism. It's a paper tiger, and I do hope he's right in this. He sees the beginning of the end of NATO uh, in this fiasco we're witnessing now. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned paper tiger. I was just gonna. Well, I was gonna ask if you would agree that many of my past guests, Patrick Armstrong, who I interviewed, Canadian uh, former defense well he worked in defense policy he used the term when i talked with him about nato paper pussycat or paper tiger and uh i have interviewed a russian military expert andrei martianov and so many others that come to the consensus that russia militarily has the upper hand in the conventional war russia wins hand down hands down against nato or, or the west in, in europe especially with the, the assistance from china and so uh, would you agree well it's their backyard just as you know if if we went to war with mexico uh, that was backed by, you know, Paraguay or something, you know, we, I mean, it's their, it's their, it's their back door, it's their backyard, it's the area they care about most. And when you're talking about, you know, the U.S. military is the most expensive on the planet. We spend an enormous amount of money, but the money we spend in the military is not going predominantly toward readiness, uh, predominantly toward having a strong fighting force or having the best weapons. The money, the enormous amount of money that the United States spends on its military is toward extremely expensive, extremely high-tech weapon systems that do not work. F-35, so on and so on and so on, go down the line. The military industrial complex gets rich off of these very expensive, very highly technical pieces of military work. And my old friend Chuck Spinney, who spent his career in the Pentagon studying this, and he still writes a lot about procurement uh, and how it leads toward the U.S. having a weaker rather than a stronger military, uh, certainly someone to, 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 talk, to talk with about this. But we have 
a very, you know, a, a very large and expensive military, but it's not the kind of military we need, certainly not to protect this country. Yeah, it's interesting. I think Finland just bought 64 F-35. So <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> someone, someone made the joke because, you know, one of them went off of a carrier a couple of weeks ago and someone said they have more success as a submarine than as a fighter jet right now. <laughs> I, I th yeah. And my past guest, Martyanov discusses how the Russian SU, I think SU-35, that they're called, they're, they're much better than F-35s. Uh, I, I read today also that Lukashenko just said that he and Putin or, or Russia and Belarus are discussing what to do with the breakaway republics of the Donetsk uh, and Lugansk. Uh, what do you think is going to happen there? Is, it just gonna, is that just going to be an issue that festers for a while or that it might be uh, incorporated into Russia? Well, all of the brilliant Russia watchers inside the U.S. beltway will disagree. But the fact of the matter is, if you, if you, if you look at Putin's behavior objectively as, as, as the head of Russia, he's not a gambler. He's not a risk taker. Uh, in fact, he gets a lot of flack from people in Russia because he isn't. And the, the exact issue you mentioned, the recognition of these two republics, that was put forth by the Communist Party, which is the largest opposition party in Russia. They are pushing him. Uh, some of the MPs from his own party are pushing him to be more radical. But he's always been a very, very cautious leader. Uh, and what I think is that if he, and this is, this is speculation, but from what, everything that I've seen, that is his ace card. And I don't think he wants to play it now. I don't think it's a card that needs to be played. I think he can start raising, if, if, the, if, if we can dial this down some, I think the issue that will be raised, and Blinken made the issue today, of course he lied about it uh, at the UN Security Council, but the issue of the Minsk Accords. If we bring this back to the table, which of course uh, provided for a level of autonomy for the breakaway republics, if we return to a, a Minsk uh, with with Ukraine acting in better faith than they have in the past, I think for Putin that is far preferable than basically you know playing that final ace or even call it a nuclear option. Not technically, not literally, but uh, you know it would be that. So I don't think it's the time that he's going to play it right now. I could be wrong. It's not always easy for me to come up with the best questions or all the uh, the necessary questions. So uh, before I continue, you know what other issues are important for you when we're talking about uh, Ukraine, US, Russia, and the wider region, China even? I just think it's how far things have gone in the Western media. You know, I watch, I watch these people and the reporting and it is so bad. It is so brainless. And this goes from Fox News on the right to MSNBC on the left. I mean, all of these stations, all of these outlets are united in this very ignorant, pro-war stance. All of the experts in D.C. are always wrong all the time. And, you know, when you have an empire that's based on lies, it's inherently, uh, it's, in, it's inherently weak. It's inherently subject to implosion. And I think we're seeing sort of the tail end of the U.S. empire. You know, I, I made a comment on our show the other day, you know, after World War II, the British hadn't, they didn't realize at first that their empire was gone. They still thought they ruled the world. Uh, and then they woke up and realized, oh, guess what? We don't have the power we thought. And that's, I think, how it's going to happen with the U.S. I think it is essentially over. They just don't realize it yet because they all still believe all the BS and all the lies that they're telling each other. Well, I mean, since you mentioned that, I, I'd agree with you. You know, one of the reasons I left the U.S. some 15 years ago for many reasons, but was also because I kind of saw this decline. And there are different versions. Uh, people think it's going to be some big collapse um or that'll just be kind of like a slow 
uh, fart, you know. Uh, and so what are your thoughts on the implications of the collapse? Like we could see people talk about things as extreme as the civil war and the disintegration in that sense, or will it just be like what happened in the in Britain's case where things just kind of slowly decline? Well, I think, again, a lot of the foreign policy analysts, so-called foreign policy analysts and Russia experts, they tend to look at the world through a very small tunnel and they tend to talk to each other in an echo chamber. But I think if you step back and you look at the larger picture, which, of course, your your podcast is dedicated to geopolitics, I think in the U.S. the end will be precipitated not by a military defeat necessarily, but by a defeat that comes at the hands of a broken economy, of a Federal Reserve that has that has uh, printed money figuratively and literally to the trillions and trillions and trillions to the point where the U.S. can no longer sustain. And we're already seeing the squeeze on the middle class with, uh, with inflation. The inflation tax is the most evil tax because certainly it hurts the poor and, and the middle class more than it hurts the wealthy. If steak goes up by three bucks or if hamburger goes up by a, a, a buck, uh, a pound, it's not going to hurt uh, you know, it's not going to hurt Jeff Bezos, but it's going to hurt the guy who's working for a living. Uh, this is where it ends. It ends with the Fed because the Fed created this massive bubble. The Fed created the military bubble. We wouldn't be able to spend a trillion dollars a year on this military machine if it wasn't from funny money produced by the Fed. So it all comes down to economics. It will simply implode on the weight of its own economic contradictions. I would totally uh, agree with that. Like the inflation we're seeing, like I ha in my lifetime, I haven't seen anything uh, compared to what we're seeing now. And it's, it's just going to get really bad. And that's actually one of the things that prevents me from coming back to the U.S. is the this increasing inflation and high cost of living where here in Mexico, it's much more uh, manageable. What um, do you think at some point by hook or by crook, by some stupid mistake or even a false flag, you know, the West may end up in a real serious military conflict, conflagration with, with Russia, perhaps some of its allies uh, and the East, and whether it, you know, it, the danger of it, it being a localized proxy war uh, in Europe or, you know, even something bigger that would could lead to es escalating to the nuclear threshold or some type of, you know, global war. Well, I think that's always possible, but I do think that the U.S. knows very well, as we talked about just a few minutes ago, this is a war it cannot win. It doesn't have the ability to get troops and to get equipment there in time uh, to do what it needs to do. This is a war it can't win, and that's why even President Biden, for all of his problems, and I don't know how extensive they are, but we can probably guess, he has even said, I'm not sending troops to Ukraine, meaning I'm not getting involved militarily. He's going to maybe add some more sanctions or something. The U.S. knows that there is no military option with Russia uh, over Ukraine. So what's left is just trash talking and, and, and harsh rhetoric. Uh, and I think the Russians have seen through it. I forget which official it was, but there was a Russian official that recently said, we don't give an SHIT about your sanctions. And I think that's probably the mood. Uh, they're ready to call the bluff, and it is a big bluff. So I think there is a risk. There's always a risk of, of error. You talk about uh, grad school and international relations. You probably read Graham Allison, who did a great analysis of, uh, of the Cuban Missile Crisis. There are mistakes that can be made, especially when you're listening, when you're mirror imaging your own values onto that of your adversary, and when you're talking in echo chamber. But I think in a rational sense, the U.S. understands that this is an impossibility. Uh, you know, we lost in Afghanistan after 20 years, so I don't know that it's time to start taking on a Russia and a Russia that's that's that at least in in terms of rhetoric is being backed by China right now. Yeah, and speaking of China, in, ter in terms of world order, you know, where do we go from here? Is is the multipolar world? Uh 
emerging now, Russia and China and, and a new system coming about. What are your thoughts uh, on where we go from here? Well, ironically, you know, par partially, I think that these people are just so stupid. You know, the people in charge in the U.S. are just so stupid. But then I have to wonder, are they stupid or are they evil or what combination? Because everything that the U.S. claims it's trying to prevent, it's actually promoting. If the U.S. wants to undermine China, the last thing you do is push China and Russia into each other, other's arms, which is what's, what it's doing. Uh, and the same is true with Iran. We have tight sanctions all around Iran. And so China says, hey, we'll buy some of your oil. Let's get together. Let's have some trade. So everything that we claim, that the U.S. claims, that these brilliant experts claim they're trying to prevent, they're actually promoting. So, again, stupidity, evil, a combination, who knows? All right. Do you have any final thought uh, for us then? Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. I think it's a very serious situation. My concern is that we're being led by idiots, uh, people that are full of themselves, people who make a lot of money off of conflict, who don't care about the rest of America, or tarnished as being pro-Russia when, in fact, the people who want to avoid a potentially you know, life-threatening for the entire planet nuclear war are pro-life, are pro-American. It's pro-American to not want to have a massive trillion-dollar military empire protecting everyone else's borders but our own. So with that, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to your listeners and appreciate the time. All right. And just one more note, uh, apart from ronpaulinstitute.org, is there any other website or, or project that uh, we should know about? Yeah, Monday through Friday at noon Eastern time, we do a live Ron Paul Liberty Report on YouTube. And you can find it just by typing in Ron Paul Liberty Report. Every day, Monday through Friday, Friday is economics, Monday through Thursday are everything else. So we appreciate anyone who wants to come in and watch and uh, subscribe to our channel. Yeah, and also I would recommend checking out uh, checking them out on Odyssey because YouTube is censoring. I just got another strike uh, after oh, being released yet yesterday, so I can't post for a week, and uh, I got three months uh, probation. And then again, everyone subscribe to Ron Paul Institute on Twitter. Uh, their newsletter, I think you, um, I just subscribe to your email list, and you're you're penning great uh, analysis through the through the newsletter. And again, thank you for returning to Geopolitics and Empire. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes, Facebook restricts our page, Reddit and Twitter take down posts, and after the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our Pro account. The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation 
purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.